Welcome back, and thank you for listening to Xenozoic Xenophiles, a fan podcast devoted to the comic series Xenozoic Tales, a post-apocalyptic adventure series filled with Cadillacs and dinosaurs from creator, writer, and artist Mark Schultz. I'm Ruth. And I'm Darren. And this is a fan podcast. We're not affiliated with Mark Schultz, and the opinions expressed are just ours. We're doing this podcast because we truly enjoy reading and talking about the worlds of Xenozoic Tales created by Mark Schultz. In this episode, we're covering Xenozoic Tales Issue 7 from October 1988, which features one story written and illustrated by Mark Schultz and a second story written by Mark Schultz and illustrated by Steve Stiles. This issue hints at answers to some of the many questions posed by the series, and we hope you enjoy it. We've explained our title in the past, but we'll quickly mention it again for new listeners. Of course, Xenozoic is part of the title of the comic. Xeno is defined as something that is strange, different, or foreign, while Zoic refers to a geological period of time, so Xenozoic basically means strange age. And a xenophile is someone who is interested in foreign lands and foreign cultures. And that word certainly describes us perfectly, because we're always interested in foreign lands and cultures, just like those found in Xenozoic tales. Of course, many of you might be more familiar with the series under the title Cadillacs and Dinosaurs, which has occasionally been used for various reprint collections, as well as for video games and an animated TV series. The original comic series, created, written, and primarily illustrated by Mark Schultz, was published by Kitchen Sink Press under the title Xenozoic Tales for 14 issues from 1987 through 1996. And this is a very exciting time to be revisiting the series, because after 20 years, Mark Schultz is currently working on a new Xenozoic Tales graphic novel. If you like the series, be sure to join the Facebook page, Mark Schultz Xenozoic Tales and Other Stories, for all of the latest official news and information. If you don't have the series but want to pick it up, we highly recommend the recent collection titled Xenozoic. It contains all of the stories written and illustrated by Mark Schultz. It is a wonderful, oversized book, printed on high-quality paper, and is available with two gorgeous covers that you can order directly from Flesk Publications. We'll include a link in our show notes. And while you're there, be sure to check out the many wonderful publications they have to offer. And if you would like some music to listen to while reading the series, then consider picking up songs from the Xenozoic Age. It's an eclectic mix of fun songs by John Chris Christensen that are inspired by the series, and the CD features album art by Mark Schultz. We really enjoy sharing listener feedback and being part of all of the fun exchanges with listeners on social media. Please feel free to write in any time and let us know what you think about the series. I'd love to know what you like best about the art and stories and how you first discovered Xenozoic Tales. We'll provide our email address and other ways to contact us at the end of the episode. Also, if you enjoy the show, please consider checking out our other podcasts that are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube. Trekker Talk is a fan podcast devoted to the adventures of 23rd century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the pages of the sci-fi comic Trekker by creator, writer, and artist Ron Randall. And Warlord Worlds is a fan podcast devoted to the comic creations of writer and artist Mike Grell, including The Warlord, John Sable, and Green Arrow. Mark Schultz, Ron Randall, and Mike Grell are our three favorite comic creators. Their stories are always filled with adventure and interesting characters, and their art is beautiful. We'll include links to those other podcasts in our show notes, but for now, let's dig into this month's issue. Xenozoic Tales, number 7, October 1988. Publisher, Dennis Kitchen. Editor, Dave Schreiner. Letters, Denise Prowl. Production, Jan Manweiler. Circulation, Paula Zone. Cover colors, Ray Fehrenbach. It's the early 26th century. The world has undergone great geological upheavals, creating global catastrophes. Few people survived. 
those that did found themselves living in isolated tribes in a very different world and a strange ecosystem. It's a new age known as the Xenozoic Era. The cover features a beautiful image of Hannah Dundee sitting on the roots of a tree at the edge of the water. She has a fishing rod in hand and a satisfied smile on her face as she reels in a fish. However, unknown to her, a giant lizard is climbing down the tree toward her. The details of the tree are wonderful, and the smile on Hannah's face is captivating. The cover has a very playful feel to it, and yet clearly illustrates the dangerous reality of the world of Xenozoic Tales. The Growing Pool, written and illustrated by Mark Schultz. Special thanks to Leslie Luttrell. Our story starts in Japan in the distant past of 2010, as two scientists walk and talk about the many recent geological cataclysms, as well as recent discoveries they've been part of. Something called the archaeoplasm has been shipped out to be buried deep in the bedrock for future use, and it includes the secret of the elixir vitae. In the background, we see a huge aquarium-like tank. As the waters swirl around, we see glimpses of a giant creature inside. Next, we are in the present time of Xenozoic Tales. A meteor flashes across the sky, and several travelers watch as it crashes into the side of a mountain. The governors of the City and the Sea assign Dr. Bulgar to take a field unit to investigate, and Hannah Dundee invites herself along for the journey. They find that a multi-chambered vault buried under 15 feet of bedrock has been uncovered by the impact of the meteor. Dr. Bulgar suspects the vault dates back to the mid-20th century, but Hannah points out that some of the ceramics used were not developed until the early 21st century. As they open the inner chamber, they are unaware that a Cadillac is speeding across the desert plains toward their location. In the inner chamber, they find a sealed container and open it to find an organic soup inside that looks like a plasma gel filled with algae and mold. Just then, a voice behind them says, I guess I'm a little too late and they turn to see Jack Tenrick at the entrance to the inner chamber. Jack reminds them they are not supposed to open relics from before the cataclysm until they have been safely transported to a controlled environment in the city. Just then, a noise attracts their attention, and the group turns to see the organic plasma gel oozing out of the container and sliding across the floor. Grabbing a pair of gloves, Jack makes a futile attempt to scoop up the slimy gel, but it oozes between his fingers and through a crack in the floor. Suspecting what will happen next, the group rushes outside to see the plasma gel sliding out of a crack in the rocks and into the local watering hole. It was seeking out an environment where it could develop and grow. Knowing they may have unleashed a plague or something even worse upon the world, Jack takes charge, ordering a controlled burn of all of the vegetation around the pool, and he stations guards to prevent any creatures from reaching the water. Meanwhile, Dr. Bulgar, Hannah, and the other scientists begin a series of tests, and they're amazed at how quickly the primitive life forms in the water begin to evolve. Within days, the accelerated evolution has created a completely new ecosystem and has developed as far as the environmental conditions of the water can support. One night, a pack of cutters, or Allosaurus, surprise one of the guards killing him, but Jack, Hannah, and the other guards are able to drive them away before they can reach the watering hole. Later, a vast herd of sandbucks, or Apatosaurus, charge toward the watering hole, pushing an older and frail member of the herd ahead of them. While Jack and the guards are able to turn the herd away at the last moment, the older sandbuck collapses and dies and falls into the water. 
30 tons of rotting sandbuck introduces a new range of nutrients into the water, and within two days the pool is teeming with new insect and aquatic life. The scientists sit around a table theorizing. This potentially answers many questions about how such a varied ecosystem developed in the 500 years since the cataclysm, including species that had been extinct for ages. They know they need to conduct many more experiments. Jack walks out of the tent, and Hannah stares after him, knowing there will be trouble. After relieving the guards at the pool, Jack returns with a canister of fuel and a torch, but Hannah is waiting for him. The two argue about whether or not the scientists' theories are correct, and what they could mean for the future. Jack sees only one answer, and that is to destroy the pool. Hannah begs him to go talk to the Grith, but he is confident they would agree. Saying she won't let him take things into his own hands again, Hannah pulls out a pistol and aims it at Jack, but he tells her she'll have to shoot him to stop him. But just then, a large swarm of insects attack Jack, stinging and biting him repeatedly. He drops to the ground, trying to shield himself from the insects. Meanwhile, Dr. Bolgar sneaks up behind him, knocking him unconscious. Suffering from a concussion and numerous insect bites, the scientists tie Jack to a stretcher, for his own safety, to have him transported back to the city in the sea. And though she didn't agree with his methods, Hannah chooses to accompany him on the way home. While not providing definitive answers, this story certainly hints at possible answers to how the world of Xenozoic Tales developed in such a short time, and it also provides some interesting social commentary on how human nature hasn't really changed much during that same time. I liked the menacing feeling that the primordial ooze has a mind of its own, seeking out a location where it can develop and even protecting itself when attacked. The complicated relationship between Jack and Hannah is definitely tested here. While they obviously have feelings for each other, their strong, differing convictions clearly put them at odds with each other. It is interesting to think about whether or not Hannah would have shot Jack if the insects hadn't attacked, and yet she still chooses to leave the area to travel back with him when he is injured. The glorious artwork of Mark Schultz continues. I love the page when the meteor streaks across the sky. The view of the travelers watching it is filled with a wonderful mix of light and shadows. That single page suggests more adventure than in many entire comics. Another favorite page is the one where Jack is traveling on his own while the scientists are opening the inner chamber. I like the way the panels alternate back and forth between the different locations. The view of Jack in the distance in his car, and then crossing a suspension bridge, and finally climbing the side of the mountain illustrate his single-minded determination. I also enjoy seeing Mark Schultz's dinosaurs, and we get them scattered throughout this issue. I especially like the giant dragonfly that Jack unfortunately has to shoot. Facial expressions are a definite highlight of this issue. The scientists' eager expectations when they first stare at the plasma gel. Hannah's and Jack's playful smiles when he first arrives. Everyone's surprised looks when the plasma gel oozes out of its container on its own. Jack's exasperation as the scientists discuss further experiments. Hannah's suspicious glance as Jack leaves the tent. Hannah's begging expression as she tries to stop Jack from setting the pool on fire and Hannah's concerned look as Jack lays on the ground unconscious at the end of the story. There are so many more that it's just impossible to name them all, but they clearly illustrate the immense talent of Mark Schultz and the detail and care he puts into every panel. Hello, I'm Mark Sweeney, and I record a group of comics fan podcast features under the name I'm the Gun. I've been asked so many times about such a ridiculous sounding name. Scratch that. Someone once asked me about such a ridiculous sounding name and where it came from. Well, I'll answer that right here. 
Find the gun was the catchphrase, the battle cry, the mantra of an obscure DC Comics war hero introduced back in the mid-1960s Steve Savage the Balloon Buster. Steve Savage was the first subject of On the Gun when I began it as a blog back in 2014, and Savage is a great example of the kind of story, the kind of character I like to cover on the show. Find the gun lives in the third string, the fourth string. I love the C-listers and the D-listers, and in the age of the trade and the omnibus, hope to champion the underappreciated and the uncollected. And I do this on features like ITG's ABCs, in which I look at shorts found in anthology titles and in backup stories. Shanna Showcase, in which I index the significant solo appearances of Marvel Comics' greatest jungle queen, Shanna the She-Devil. Reboot Review, where I'm looking at, at least at the time of this recording, the criminally uncollected adventures of the post-zero hour Legion of Superheroes. And where's the trade in which I ask the rhetorical, titular question and shine a light on some favorite run or title that has yet to be reprinted? Along the way, other odds and ends may find their way into the feed, so if this sounds at all interesting to you, I encourage you to check the show out on iTunes, on Google Play, or at its home on the blog, imthegun.blogspot.com. That's I'm the Gun, the comics podcast named after the most famous catchphrase or battle cry in comics. After Up, Up, and Away, and Avengers Assemble, and Shazam, Suffering Sappho, Got Long Live the Legion, of course there's Hawkeye, and Flame On, and it's clobbering time, Excelsior, and Brightest Day, and Blackest Night, Hulk Smash. Crossed Currents, written by Mark Schultz, illustrated by Steve Stiles. Nice and his ship have just returned to port. As he watches his crew unload his typically small catch onto the dock, the harbor master approaches and tells him that if the size of his catch doesn't improve soon, he's going to give a spot to someone else. Nice knows his catches are smaller than most, but he's a naturally lazy man and doesn't like to work any harder than necessary. He knew this threat would happen eventually, so he's been working on a secret plan in his spare time. Before becoming a fisherman, Nice worked in the catacombs with Sharnhorse, and even met the scientist Dr. Fessenden before he left on his expedition. He's managed to collect some equipment from before the cataclysm, and he's been testing theories. He has a voltometer that measures electrical impulses discharged by marine life, and he's built a high-voltage generator he plans to use for fishing. He tests his theories in a small aquarium, watching how a baby sea viper uses its tendrils to ensnare and electrocute a distressed fish. He and his crew set sail the next day, traveling further out to sea, away from the other fishing vessels. Dropping their nets into the water, Nice uses the high-voltage generator to electrocute the water, and fish begin to float to the surface all around the boat. They pull in the nets and move on to another location, repeating the process until their small boat is weighed down by the huge volume of fish. But what Nice hasn't realized is the distressed fish have been attracting sea vipers, just like in his aquarium. But these sea vipers in the open ocean aren't babies. The small boat is soon surrounded by giant, full-grown sea vipers, their tendrils wrapping around the fishing boat, searching for food. Days later, the derelict boat is found floating with no one on board. This is a perfect companion story for the issue, as we see someone who only partially understands the ancient equipment he is using, and who only has a partially developed theory. As we see here, this combination leads to tragedy for Nice and his crew. 
And while those involved in the earlier story are educated and trained scientists, we have to wonder if they really have enough knowledge for the experiments they are conducting or whether they might also find themselves facing a similarly shocking surprise from the results of their tests. Steve Stiles' art is great as always. I like the little touches on the fishing boat while in dock, showing the patchwork repairs barely holding the boat together. And the scenes on the open ocean are great. First we see the other fishing boats vanishing in the distance as Nice takes his boat further out to sea. We then see the happy faces of the crew as they begin to haul in their easy catches, followed by the distressed looks on their faces when they realize they have become the catch. When you talk about comics, does it sound something like this? Look, you can't put the Superman number 77s with the 200s. They haven't even discovered red kryptonite yet. And you, uh, you can't put the number 98s with the 300s. Lori Lamaris hasn't even been introduced. Or maybe it sounds a little more like this. You think Mighty Mouse could beat up Superman? What are you, cracked? Why not? I saw the other day he was carrying five elephants in one hand. Boy, you don't know nothing. Mighty Mouse is a cartoon. Superman is a real guy. No way a cartoon could beat up a real guy. Yeah, maybe you're right. Would be a good fight, though. Hello, I am the constantly caffeinated Clinton Robison, and my comics discussions can go to both extremes, but generally fall somewhere in between. On the Coffee and Comics podcast, I will review comic stories and other comics-related topics that can be enjoyed over a cup of coffee. So pour the coffee, or other beverage of choice, and join me on the Coffee and Comics podcast, available on iTunes and coffeeandcomicspodcast.blogspot.com. Let's talk a bit about who's who and what's what in Xenozoic Tales. This is the 26th century, long after a series of geological cataclysms. What is known as the city in the sea in these stories is the island of Manhattan that is now partially submerged in the ocean. The city of Wasoon is what we know as Washington, D.C. Jack Tenrick is an old-blood mechanic, one of the few people who have learned how to repair the many machines left over from the distant past. While he can be gruff at times, he is more respected by residents than the governors who run the city. Hannah Dundee is a scientist and ambassador from Wasoon, who has come to the city in the sea in the hopes of building cooperation between the two cities. Wilhelmina Scharnhorst is the leader of the Moles, a group of people who prefer to live and work underground, where they search the ancient ruins in the city in the sea. She despises the old blood mechanics, and she and Jack have little respect for each other. The Grith are mysterious humanoid reptiles, and are allies of both Jack and Hannah, who are two of the very few people who have ever seen the Grith. The Grith communicate telepathically with each other and talk to Jack using the letter tiles from an old Scrabble board game. The Governing Council rules the city in the sea and consists of several members, including Governors Nock and Dahlgren. Some members seem to respect Jack, while other members resent that he is more popular with the people than they are. Next up is listener feedback when we share the emails and messages we've received since last time. Thanks to everyone for the comments. Your support and encouragement is great, and we sincerely appreciate everyone who took time to get in touch to share your thoughts. The Did You Hit Record podcast noticed the issue cover we posted back on Episode 5 and wrote to say we've never heard of this comic book but are going to check it out now. And later they promoted our show, calling it a podcast with great alternative comic discussion. Vic Sage, writer for The Retroist, shared our Facebook post and wrote, I do very much love Mark Schultz's epic Xenozoic Tales. I've been a big fan for a very, very long time, which is why it makes sense I am so happy with the Xenozoic Xenophiles podcast. Give them a listen today. And later, Vic exclaimed, 
by the great neck of Sambuck. I was this close to getting my hands on Jack Tenrick's Cadillac, and he attached a photo of one of the Cadillacs from the animated TV series line of toys. We hope you get another chance to pick one up in the future, Vic. Ashford of Straight Out of Gallifrey, a Doctor Who podcast, and Feathers and Foes, a Birds of Prey podcast, said Episode 6 sounds amazing. John Baker wrote, I just finished your latest episode. As always, well done. Interesting and piqued more curiosity. Well done. Thank you, John. Joe Crawford of the blog for the Non-Discerning Reader wrote, It is always great to see a new Ruth and Darren production. We also like the photo of the Xenozoic Tales book that Joe posted on his blog with the caption, A little late night reading with Jack and Hannah. Finally caught up to the Xenozoic Xenophiles podcast. Of course, the book is so good, I'll finish it this week. Patience, I lack. Later, Joe posted, Finish Xenozoic by Mark Schultz. The book really has a throwback feel to it, and not just because of the dinosaurs. You can see the influence of E.C. and the great cartoonist on this work. Absolutely stunning artwork. Hope to read more about Jack and Hannah. Danny Newman wrote, Love the new episode. Hearing you guys talk about the things you loved about each issue has been a great motivation to re-examine them myself. Time pouring over Mark's work is time well spent. In our last episode, we talked about Danny Newman's picture-a-day project called At Home with the Super Newmans. It was fun to challenge others to look for all of the nods to Xenozoic tales that can be spotted. And now, as promised, here are the key Xenozoic-related photos that Danny cleverly worked into the photos. In photos 135 and 136, the Super Newmans visit a used car lot and buy an old red El Dorado. In photo 180, you'll see palm trees and a huge dinosaur in the background. Danny shared that this was actually taken outdoors at a kitschy rest stop off Highway 10 in Cabazon, California. The perspective on this shot is terrific. And in photos 355 and 356, you'll see the Super Newmans visiting a natural history museum and checking out the exhibit Mesozoic to the Xenozoic. In case you miss seeing any of these, go to cantinadan.com. We'll add the link in our show notes. I know any fan of action figures will love this site. Eric Herringall wrote about Xenozoic Tales, saying you can't imagine how this comic is one of my favorites. I met Mark Schultz at the end of the 80s in France during a comics convention. Since that time, I'm now a French comics artist, and I think Xenozoic is one of the reasons for that. Eric is the writer and artist of a French comic called The Kong Crew. He describes it as a vintage what-if story. What if King Kong defeated the U.S. Air Force? The story is 14 years later in 1947. Manhattan is a jungle, and the U.S. Air Force tries to keep the beast inside Manhattan. No one goes in, and no one gets out. A story with pilots, airplanes, pinups, and monsters, and with a little Dotson too. We'll include a link to his Facebook pages so you can check out this title, as well as his other creations. We appreciated seeing a post that Dreamcast Max shared with the Topps Company. He wrote that as a child, he got a stack of Cadillacs and Dinosaurs comics, and it sparked a lifelong passion for reading and art. Thank you for your comics. Mark Sweeney of the I'm the Gun blog and podcast posted, Catching up on recent podcasts alphabetically means one of the best is saved for last. Xenozoic Xenophiles. Tom Vincent shared that Xenozoic Tales was one of the last regular comics he was buying when it came out. Schultz has gotten even better since then. We agree, Tom. Wednesday Comics shared a terrific Cadillacs and Dinosaurs photo, along with a link to Track TV, where there's a series description and sample episodes of the animated series. The Saturday Morning Cartoons podcast featured the first episode of Cadillacs and Dinosaurs recently. The two hosts had never seen the show or read the comic before, so it was interesting to hear them figuring out the series. We appreciated a shout-out they gave us later when they posted, We did one episode on Cadillacs and Dinosaurs. 
but Xenozoic Xenophiles dedicates a whole podcast to the comics. Check them out. We'll include a link to their episode in our show notes. We enjoyed seeing Xenozoic Tales featured on the Facebook group From Pacific to Eternity, Independent Comics from the 1980s. It is a great group for fans like us, and we'll share their link in our show notes as well. Thanks to John Kahane, who made sure we saw a digital print of Hannah Dundee that Josh Jensen used for practicing colors. John was right to call it a lovely piece, and he added there's nothing like Hannah Dundee. We've shared before that Josh is studying the art of coloring comics, and you can follow him on Twitter to see examples of his work. We'll have the link in our show notes. Bert Ehrman posted, Schultz is one of the best artists of the last 50 years. Yes, he is. Scott Connor wrote, Just listen to episode 6. Good stuff. And he let us know that issue 15 of Comic Book Creator will feature Mark Schultz. It will be out this spring and is currently available for pre-order. We'll include a link to that site at Tomorrow's Publishing Company. Karen Williams of Between the Pages sent us a note about a various drawing sketchbook by Mark Schultz. She says the book is gorgeous. I really like how it shows both the concept art and final art. And Daniel Priest sent a comment about a book by Mark Schultz saying, You'll absolutely fall over for IDW's artist edition of the Xenozoic series. Schultz is nothing short of a master. For us, a highlight of the recent holidays was receiving the terrific Kickstarter reward package from Flesk Publications. It featured deluxe editions of Carbon 2 and Storms at Sea, plus signed prints from Mark Schultz. The books and prints are absolutely gorgeous. It was like we got an extra Christmas present directly from Mark Schultz and Fless Publications. And we want to end with a special thanks to Ed and Terry Moore of Teal Productions. Ed has been personally recommending this podcast to fellow Mark Schultz fans on Twitter, and Terry kindly shares all of our Facebook posts. Thank you both for the friendship and long-standing support you've given us. Next, we want to extend our thanks to everyone who supported the show on social media since last episode. These are people who liked or shared posts from us on Twitter, Tumblr, or Facebook. Your support helps draw attention to the podcast, and we sincerely appreciate all that you do. Before we start, let me say if we miss a name, just let us know and we'll correct it next time. And please forgive us if we mispronounce your name. Just write to let us know, and we'll be sure to correct that next episode. Ashford of the podcast Feathers and Foes and Straight Out Gallifrey. BC Fan 101, Bert Ehrman, Billy Hogan of the Superman Fan Podcast, Brian Mulvey, Chris Mounts, Christopher Mills of the Atomic Pulp Blog and writer for Perils on Planet X, Clinton Robison of the Coffee and Comics Blog, Comics in the Golden Age with Mike and Chris, Cullen Stapleton from the Worst Comics Podcast Ever, Daniel Barrios, Daniel Priest, Danny Newman of the Super Newman's Project, David Bagsby, DC in the 80s, Dr. G, Man of Nerdology of the Pulp to Pixel Podcast, Dreamcast Max, Ed, Terry, and Nick Moore of Till Productions, Eric Herringall, creator of The Kong Crew, Eric Mannix of Out of the Fridge and Pages for All Ages, Gene Hendricks from The Hammer Strikes and Anime Freaks and the Two True Freaks Podcast Network, Joe Crawford from the blog for the Non-Discerning Reader, John Baker, Justice's First Dawn with Mike Peacock, Karen Williams of Between the Pages, artist Ken Solo, Larry Looper Jr., a.k.a. The Question, at Vic Sage 2005, and writer for The Retroist. Laurel Phillips, Matthew Ward, Michael Carlisle of the blog Crapbox Son of Cthulhu, Michael Lane of Comics in the Golden Age, Michael Sirju, Midwest Society of Geeks and Nerds, Mike Ratliff of The World of Geekdom, Nick Montemayor, Philip Hillis, Professor Allen of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network, Ray Wilkerson, Rolled Spine Podcast, Ronald Clark, Saturday Morning Cartoons Podcast, Scott Connor, 
Sophia Rodriguez Aragon, Tom Vincent, Tony Greenall, Two True Freaks Podcast Network, Weird Science DC, and a big thanks to Mark Schultz Xenozoic Tales and Other Stories Facebook page for sharing our episodes. Before we go, we want to provide our contact information. Please let us know your thoughts through email, Facebook, or Twitter. You can reach us at xenozoicxenophiles at gmail.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram under the name Xenozoic Xenophiles. And you can always visit xenozoicxenophiles.com for links to all of our social media pages. Plus, we want to announce that we've launched a network, Rad Adventures. Get it? Ruth and Darren. R-A-D. Rad. We have a Facebook page and Twitter account where you'll get updates about all of our shows. And the best part is that we have a YouTube channel for the network. On YouTube, you can go to Rad Adventures Network and find all of the episodes of Trekker Talk, Warlord Worlds, and Xenozoic Xenophiles. You'll get the regular audio feed of the podcast, along with a picture of the cover to the issue we're discussing in that episode. We hope you'll visit and subscribe to the channel and give us some likes on the videos. If you like the show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes or Stitcher. It's a great way to help get the show noticed and hopefully attract more listeners. And please consider subscribing to the show so you'll always know when there's a new episode. Also, please consider trying out our other podcasts. Trekker Talk, about sci-fi bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair by Ron Randall, and Warlord Worlds, where we cover the comic creations of Mike Grell. In our opinions, these three creators are master storytellers and artists, and we're always happy to talk about their work and hear what others have to say. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll come back next time for another new episode of Xenozoic Xenophiles. Xenozoic Xenophiles is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. For more information, please visit comicspodcasts.com. We are not affiliated with Mark Schultz or the various companies that have published the series. The views expressed on the show are solely ours. Music is taken from the album, Movie Tunes, Background Music, Songs and Loops, Volume 2. We make no money from this podcast and no copyright infringement is intended. <laughs>